0: Anyway, 2 Kings chapter number 7, I want to speak on the subject of we do not well. I want to take a little phrase from this from this uh, story, and I'm going to go back and, and somebody told me something about um, doing history and stuff. I'm going to give you history this morning, so I've got to we'll look at the Bible history and build up to what we're going to read and then... Uh, That'll probably be at least two-thirds of the sermon and then we've got just a, a real quick actual sermon we'll get to at the very end. Uh, the 2nd Kings chapter number 7, and before we get into this, I, I don't want to get into all the history and we'll come back to that. But what is happening here is Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, is under siege by the Syrians. And uh, God's about to miraculously deliver them. So 2nd Kings 7 verse number 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, And left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, and horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. we give you some background on this. Jehoram, the son of Ahab, is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. The capital is Samaria. That's the town that is uh, besieged in our text. Up in Syria, the the Aramean kingdom, if you will, is uh, the king there. His name is Ben-Hadad II. uh, Their capital is at Damascus. The Syrians have been growing in power, very, very regional power here. And they've been pressuring in Israel, and their time dealing with Israel goes back to the time of David. They start out kind of as uh, mercenaries, and uh, David actually conquers them, but they're they're, they're really putting some pressure on Israel right here. Uh, If you go back in chapter number 6, you'll read that they sent raiding parties south into Israel, and they were trying to capture the king of Israel. They were trying to capture Jehoram. But God would reveal to Elijah where they were going, and Elijah would tell the king, hey, you don't want to go there. So God miraculously uh, delivered uh, many times, i doesn't say how many times, I think it's many, multiple times, uh, saved the king of Israel from being captured by uh, the Syrians. Then there, the Syrians, they, they, they get mad. Their deal is every time you see them and they get beat, they come back with a bigger force. They want to regain their lost honor or their humility—you know overcome their humiliation, whatever you want to say on that. So this time they want to come and they want to capture the prophet Elijah. So they send a force down to Dothan and they surround it. And it's a, the famous story there where the, 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 the servant of Elijah goes out and looks out and he sees all those armies surrounding the city. And Dothan's on a hill kind of in the middle of the valley if you look at the pictures of it sees that valley full of all the enemy soldiers. He rushes back in, tells Elijah, and Elijah says, I, God's still in control. And he prays that the servant's eyes would be open. And when the servant looks again, he doesn't just see the enemy army, but he sees the hills surrounding that valley full of angelic forces. God was still in control. Everything was going to be fine. Elijah prays and the Syrian soldiers are struck blind. It's a very interesting word there. I don't have time to get into it, but they're, they're confused. He, he leads them 10 miles south to Samaria uh, and uh, presents them to King Jehoram. King Jehoram wants to kill him. Ha ha, we got him. You know He wants to just kill him, and be done with it. Elijah says, no, we're not going to do that. You feed them and you send them home. And so they give them a meal and they, they send them packing back uh, back north to Syria. Uh, such a humiliation to these soldiers. They came looking for a fight and what they get? They got uh, bed and breakfast instead. <laughs> and so it sends them back packing up north. Well, uh, such of uh, th- this thing. By the way, when I was reading that, I thought of the words of Paul in, in Romans 12 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Sometimes the nastiest thing you can do is be nice. Sometimes killing someone with kindness is the best victory. Anyway, the Syrians return home, and, and I think plans are immediately hatched. They want to get even with Israel for this, for this slight against them. So, uh, having lost something of their honor, they come this next time not as a raiding party like, you know, cavalry coming in. They come with all the army. They want to make an example of Israel. And so they come down with all their army. They sweep into the land and they besiege the capital of Samaria. Of course, supplies are cut off and begin to run low. And it's compounded on the fact that it says there's a great famine in the land. So there's hardly any food to begin with. And now they're trapped in the city and the food stores they have are running low. 2 Kings 6 verses 24 through 29 I think are some of the saddest. If you want to go old school, the most pathetic verses you will read in Scripture when it gives the account of what was going on inside the walls of Samaria. If you think you're having a hard time, go read these verses. Uh, i tell you what, we're so spoiled. We think, uh, you know, our worst days, oh, it couldn't be worse. Um, These verses show a human existence at about the lowest level you can find. They're desperate for food. They're desperate for survival. And people are sinking to unimaginable levels. I have no interest in eating donkey meat. I don't care if it's sirloin or filet mignon or hamburger. I just I would prefer not to. Now I'll tell you, if I got hungry enough, I suppose a donkey would start looking appetizing. By the way, I like I've read stories like the Great Depression. Some of the things people would eat that uh, we don't eat nowadays: uh, poke salad and, and stuff like that. Always bring that one up because we had some of that growing in our backyard. I think from my (laughs) great-grandparents back there, Um, there different things they would eat just to survive. Well, some, some things start looking appetizing when you're hungry. There in the butcher shops of besieged Samaria, the most undesirable piece of donkey flesh, the head of the donkey, sold for 80 shekels. If you take that price and you go, by the way, that's what I like to do to find value of things in the Old Testament. I take that weight in in silver and see what that's worth today. That is $760 in today's silver prices, which, by the way, is even worse than it sounds because in the New Testament, one shekel is a common man's labor uh, wage. So basically you're saying two years labor for the common man And he is, uh, that's what it costs to get a donkey's head to eat. Then on the shelf next to that, there is a one-quarter cab. That's roughly one cup, just one cup, of what's said to be dove's dung. And by the way, uh, dove's dung right there, I think that's literal. Some people try to make that as some kind of plant. And um, I, I think this literally is bird poop. I'm just being honest with you. So, well, how'd they get that in the middle of a famine? Because they had doves and things for sacrifices. And that stuff piled up, and, and they, they had it. And that's not a lot. Um, people say, well, it's some kind of plant. Well, how did they go out and get the plant in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a siege? So anyway, as gross as this sounds, and by the way, they could, they didn't have to eat it. They could have burned it for fuel. But this is des- I mean, this is desperate times. And by the way, for that... They're uh, five shekels, $48, for one cup of this stuff. Um, I'm going to get down here. Our our modern tastes recoil at donkey heads and dove's dung. But what follows is infinitely worse. I'm just going to touch on it because it's so sickening. The king himself, a case comes before him of mothers resorting to cannibalism, eating their own children to survive. This breaks the king. But not towards God. He angrily seeks the head of the prophet Elijah. He sends a messenger, I think that's an assassin, to go get him. By the way, it's the same Elijah that had saved his neck a whole lot of times before. He turns on him here. Elijah tells him that the next day, he gives this promise, there's going to be so much food the next day. It says one, and it's called a seah. Uh, In Hebrew, it's about seven quarts, if you can picture that in your mind. Seven quarts of wheat flour would be sold for for one shekel. That's $10, roughly. And two sias, 14 quarts of barley for two shekels, or $20. So, um, just, uh, uh, there's going to be so much food. We're going to go from paying $700 for a donkey's head to to, to, to uh, spending pocket money for enough flour and stuff for you to bake bread and eat for many days. Uh, that's the, that's what he's predicting in that. One of the king's court uh, there in the first part of chapter seven, I didn't, I skipped over those verses for our text. But one of the king's court mocks Elijah, like, oh well, if the windows of heaven would open up, maybe this would happen. And Elijah says, ah, you're going to hear it, but you're not going to taste of it. We now come to the story of our four lepers. All the desperation that we just discussed is in their hearts. All the desperation that comes from the disease that they have, incurable at the time, is in their hearts. They're not welcomed by their countrymen into the city. They would be just four more mouths to feed. Their condition, of course, the leprosy, it's a bacterial infection thing, and it would spread. They finally decide that they would risk being killed by the Syrians rather than slowly dying from starvation. By the way, it does seem that the Syrians may have treated their lepers a little better. Go read the story of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general, and he was still a general, even though he was a leper. So it appears they they probably treated him a little bit better than, uh, you know, maybe not quite the outcasts they were in Israel. So these four lepers start to make their way towards the campfires of the surrounding Syrian army. Now, God had already worked a miracle. Before the lepers made their desperate decision, he made the Syrians just to hear the sound of an approaching army. And in their fear, they thought, "Oh my goodness! They've hired mercenaries from the Hittites. They're up in the uh, kind of Turkey area, or the Egyptians down south." Says they've hired these mercenaries. We're dead. And they just take off, they run east towards the Jordan River, and they, they leave They just a, a trail of all their stuff as they're running. They're throwing off their packs and their goods, and they just leave everything as they hightail it uh, out uh, to, to save their necks. So, well, that's unreasonable. Why would they do that? I've got a funny story I'm going to share with you. Um, B.H. Carroll, I quote him a lot. I really like most of his stuff. Um he, was a, he served uh, for the Confederacy in the Civil War in the Western Theater over like in Louisiana Arkansas. And uh, he tells this story. He says, I once saw 16 steers put an army of 4,000 to flight, and I was one of the men. We were in a lane with a high fence on one side and a bayou on the other side. And suddenly up the lane we heard the most awful clatter and saw the biggest cloud of dust, And one of the men shouted, The cavalry is on us! The cavalry is on us! And without thinking, everybody got scared. A lot of the men were found standing in the bayou up to their necks. Others had gone over the fence and clear across the field without stopping. I did not get that far, but I got over the fence. It doesn't take much to spook people. It really doesn't. These four lepers found the camp empty and they started to live it up. They sit down at a table. I, I imagine the table's already set and it's got all the food and everything. They sit down and they eat like kings. They they actually go, they they get armfuls of gold and silver and all these, you know, precious things. And they, they get these armfuls and they go and they go hide them. And then they come back and they get another armload and they go back and hide it. They, they're like, they don't want anything happening. We're, 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 we're gonna save this stuff. We're gonna make sure nobody we don't lose this. Well, we've got a we've got a chance of getting it. Them with full bellies and full arms, they come to realization. They had never had such wealth in their hands. They had never had such food at their disposal. Their joy turned to sad conviction. And we find the phrase, we do not well. While their stomachs were bulging, there were thousands of their kinsfolk starving inside the walls of Samaria. While their pockets were bulging with gold and jewels, there were those trading all their life savings for the last meal of donkey head stew. While their hearts were bursting with joy at God's deliverance, there were thousands who had given up hope. What if the Syrians returned? What if whoever scared off the Syrians came back? How could their countrymen know that victory and deliverance had come? The four lepers knew their responsibility, their duty, was to go and tell the city what they had found. They go to the city and the king sends out scouts to check their story. The word comes back that it's just like the lepers said, the stampede, uh, you know, they just, the army just left. It's all sitting out there. There's food, there's gold, everything is just, they just ran off. Then there's a stampede of starving people that rushes out of the city to spoil the Syrian camp. And oh, that one guy that doubted, he got trampled, kind of like Black Friday at Walmart. He got trampled by all those people rushing out of the gates. I find that phrase haunting that the four lepers said. We do not well. They had their stomachs full. That sounds pretty good. They had their pockets full. That sounds pretty good. They could have gone from being outcasts to living like They had a wealth of an army at their disposal. Yet their hearts melted as they realized they had a duty to their brethren in the city to tell them. All that's introduction, now the sermon. I believe many Christians are in a similar place to those lepers as they were in the camp. As Christians, they were in a helpless place, lost in sin, they were doomed by their sin to death. The wages of sin is death. Yet they stepped out in faith. They trusted God. And they found the victory that only God could give. Only God can give the victory in salvation. Only God can give the victory over sin. These Christians, they found the riches that only God can provide. But like these lepers, they gorge themselves on the blessings and hoard away the treasures God provides to them. All the while, there are friends, neighbors, colleagues, strangers that are still trapped and hopeless. These do not know of the victory that God has provided for us. These do not know of Christ's love and sacrifice for us. These do not know of the hope and peace and joy that God has waiting for us. How will they know? Well, somebody has to go and tell them. A few observations there from verse number 9. First, we must acknowledge our error and change. We do not well. By the way, that's textbook repentance. I find that I'm going the wrong way. I'm doing the wrong thing and I change, and I start going back the other way. If we're not trying to get the gospel out, and you say, well, what does that look like? There's a lot of ways to help get the gospel out through personal evangelism, through church evangelism, through family instruction, through missions trips, missions giving, you name it. We could go on and on and on. The the, the possibilities are limitless. If we're not helping, we need to repent and start to do something. If you can, you go. If you can, you give. And one thing we all can do is pray. And by the way, that is the most important thing. The second observation is be sure that the message is the gospel. They said this day is a day of good tidings. That's literally what the gospel means. The gospel means good news. The gospel that Christ came to this earth, that He died for us, that He rose again in victory and now offers salvation to all who put their faith in Him. The Gospel is not putting certain political parties in power. The Gospel is not just showing God's love to, to people through acts of service. God's, the, the Gospel is not just helping improve the welfare of people around the world that are in need. Those are noble. They are, but they cannot begin to touch man's greatest need. Man's greatest need is the gospel. People need the gospel. Third, the gospel is only powerless if it is not shared. It says, and we hold our peace. The Syrian army would have still been defeated, even if the lepers had not gone and told the city. Victory had already been won, already been given by God. I tell you that Christ has already won the victory for the salvation of sinners. It's over. Sin defeated. Death defeated. The victory is there. It is our job to proclaim the victory, to show the enslaved to sin that they're on the losing side, that they need to come on over to the winning side. Romans 10 13 through 15. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's the gospel in a nutshell right there. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, someone to tell them? And how shall they preach except they be sent? By the way, we've all been sent. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Matthew 28, Mark 16. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. fourth thing, there's an urgency to the mission. It says, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. I, I do not know how long I have on this earth. I do not lo- know how long others have. We were talking about it before. Ninety-eight. 98 years old for Maxine, that's amazing. I, I don't think a lot of us are going to make that. Yeah, so, some of us wearing out faster than others. <laughs> that's a That's amazing. That, and so we celebrate that, and we should. I, I also, I'm thankful. I tell people, well, the first things I tell people, I said, you don't believe it. we've got, we got like three people overnight. This is amazing. I always tell people about the Gainers and the, and the McDonald's. I love to tell about them. And, and, uh, uh, anyway, but we don't know how long we have. We don't know how long other people have. Souls are too valuable to risk delaying. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Fifth and as musicians come on this the call to service sounds today now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household we see the need we know the solution we know the urgency now don't delay now like it says come they, these four guys looking at each other they're like okay we're going as a group everybody come on I like that let's y'all join in Come on in. The water's fine. Let's, let's go. Satan wants us to feel like we'd be alone or stand out as some sort of weirdo if we obeyed God. The truth is, there's a great company already at work. There are churches preaching and teaching. And by the way, I'm glad we're not alone in that in our community. There are missionaries, foreign, local. There are youth workers, churches, and even in schools. There's families taking stands. There's countless untold numbers of people who are bowing on their knees, praying that God would help this need, that God would raise up laborers, that God would empower those, that God would bless the, the efforts that are going on. There's countless others who say, I, I can't do much, but I can, I can give something. I'll tell you the two most noble things I'm not sure that we can't do are to give and to pray. It's high time that we all did our part. And in closing, I want to say you must first know the victory yourself. These lepers had to step out in faith to find the victory. And then they could go back and tell. The solution is not just to make sure everybody else is okay. You have to make sure yourself is taken care of first. You have to make sure you know the gospel, that it's taken root in your heart. You start there, and then in the natural course of things, you should become a witness to those round about you. You enlist as a soldier in the spiritual war that goes on. I have to challenge you here, online, listening, whenever, Make sure you know Christ, number one. And if you do, start making sure those around you know Him too. If you'll stand, we'll have a time of the invitation. What number? 326 326 in the the Baptist hymnal. 326 for the invitation hymn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a very convicting message for me this morning. Seeing this story and and seeing the, the humanity of it, then applying that to the spiritual. Lord, some of us, we're we're nothing. We're just sinners saved by grace. We know the goodness. We know Your blessing. We know the assurance. We know all those countless treasures and blessings You pour on us. Lord, help us to see the need of those around us. Let us help to reach those who do not know that the victory has been won. Help us all to do our part to reach the lost with the gospel. Lord, I don't know how much time we have. Things in this world make me think it could not be very long. Help us to press forward and do our part and work even the harder as it seems like day grows to a close. Challenge us, I pray, Lord, this simple message, these simple words. Help us do our part in helping to get the gospel to those who so desperately need it for eternity's sake. Challenge us, I pray, in these words in thy holy name. Amen. <laughs>